Welcome to 2.23am, a call to uncommon action, where we seek to create spaces and places for individuals to express their wholeness through business that serves the well-being of all. I'm Christine McDougall. Part of what we are about is to showcase businesses that are starting with a blank canvas, not just rewriting the book on business, but exploring every assumption underpinning business. I am so excited to be bringing you this episode with Hugo Spowers, founder and chief architect of River Simple. Don't worry if you had not heard about this company yet, you will. Hugo is disrupting the future of transport as well as business. In last week's episode, we talked to Frederick Leloux about reinventing organizations. Hugo is reinventing transport. Imagine a car that is 100% net resource neutral and for which you lease, not buy, on a monthly basis, with the lease including everything, fuel, car cost, maintenance, registration and tax, insurance, everything, no extra payment. Suddenly the car company no longer needs to sell you more cars, it now needs to be sure your car lasts a very long time and is the most efficient possible. This is the kind of turn-on-its-head design models that we discuss in this episode. As usual, quotes from this episode, links, Hugo's bio, are all found in the show notes at www.blog.223am.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. Today, I am speaking with Hugo Spowers, the founder uh, and company architect of River Simple. Welcome, Hugo. Lovely to be speaking with you. Good morning, Christine. So, as you know, the opening question is what wakes you at 2.23 a.m.? And uh, please feel free to answer that either literally um, or metaphorically, as in, you know, what are the things that are... Um, concern you in the dark hours of your reflection? Well, um, well, <laughs> I, I, I sort of sleep pretty well through thick and thin, actually. But, um, but metaphorically, um, I, uh, I do um, go through periods of um, a real concern about... Um, whether really, really get, ever going to get people to wake up, and I, I think that sort of a, I see initiatives like my own, which um, so obviously are better and deserve to succeed, and yet the obstacles put in their way um, uh, just seem to me to be uh, so perverse and uh, serve nobody's better interests at all. Um, right. But I go through high moments too when I'm, I'm a bit more positive. <laughs> Very good. And so, so perhaps uh, you can um, explain to the audience, tell them a little bit about River Simple, and uh, and then we'll give some context to that. Um, because I think that 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 statement that you just made is actually really profound. That um, you know what what you're trying to do, and and that that sometimes you know the endeavours of business to do something really. Uh, 
um, admirable uh, long-term thinking for the betterment of humanity keeps coming up against these obstacles. So, so would you be would you share with um, with us uh, yes. the, what River Simple is? Yes, certainly. Uh, I, I spent 15 years um, designing and building racing cars, and I got out really for environmental reasons. Okay. Not knowing what I was going to do at all, but I just knew it was going to be nothing to do with cars. And within about three years, um, I was, well, after about two years, I was doing an MBA, and I did a, 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 a technical, a commercial feasibility study on bringing hydrogen cars to market. Okay. And I did it academically because I didn't think that you could do it without the auto industry's support. You need that clout. But mm-hmm. you couldn't do it with the industry because what I was suggesting would be commercial suicide. And by the time I finished the study, I felt that the former wasn't true. You could do it without the support of the industry. And it's much easier from outside than from inside. And okay. I think technically it's all possible to have highly efficient... Um, uh, resource-neutral cars. The problems are all to do with people and politics and business. So more of the work has really gone into the strategies necessary for bringing it to market, the um, uh, business model, and also the corporate governance of the of the company. Okay. All right. So. So, um, you've, how long have you been actually uh, sort of knee deep, so to speak, in 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 uh, in what is now River Simple, as in in creating this uh, um, new mode of transport? Well, I did that academic study in '99, and it was it was the end of 2000, really, that I late in 2000 I wrote it up as a. Um, a, a, a wrote the propositions up in a form um, so, uh, such that they could be put into action, really, rather, rather than just being an academic um, proposition. Yeah. And I had a yeah. workshop for about a dozen people who I knew from a variety of, very interesting people from a variety of walks of life to, to see if there, was any, there were any showstoppers in the model. And that was a yeah. seminal day, really, because at the end, my wife arrived to meet us and one of them said to her that, we haven't let you go off the hook yet. Um, basically, we found no showstoppers, and that really was the beginning. So that was in late 2000. Okay. And so so if for the last 14, um, coming up to yeah, 14 years, 15 years, you've, this, is, this has been what you've been applying yourself to? Absolutely, yes. And, um, I mean, <laughs> if I thought it was going to take this long, I might not have... The tact was quite such enthusiasm, but um, <laughs> okay. but there's always progress. Um, yes, it's just uh, it's 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 not a, a steady continuum of progress. There, there have been periods of doldrums in, along the way. Um, yes, but we built our first car in 2005 as a research project. Yes, and then another um, technology platform to take it one step further was running by 2009, and we're now. Uh, developing our first production prototype. Okay, all right. So, so that so does that mean that that you expect to see uh, your cars on the road in any it, quite shortly soon? Yes, we're going to we, we, next March. We should have the first car complete, and yeah. we're 
we're running a beta test with 20 cars and 20 genuine customers starting uh, late next year. And, yes. um, and we're, they, they won't be production cars quite at that stage. We're aiming to be in production by the middle of 2017. Okay. Um, that sounds quite a long time, but in automotive terms, it's quite quick. <clears throat> and also, we're, we're bringing customers into the development process much earlier than uh, automotive manufacturers do generally. I mean, you see the trend in other areas of technology. Yes. So we call our yes. test latest next year as a, as a beta test. Yes. And so you mentioned, you know, and I'd like to go back to this, um, uh, the, the metaphorical 2.23 a.m. wake up um, and, and that, that, that what I understood from what you said is that the technology and the ability and so on to do this and to create cars that are resource neutral um, is, is there. It's, it's all of the other things that, that are getting in the way. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yes. I, I think there's, um, whenever you have a disruptive shift in technology, it always comes from left field, from outside the mainstream. Yes. It always starts off in a niche market where the limitations of this immature technology don't really matter, but where the, the virtues of it are highly valued. The yes. niche is too small for the incumbents. It leads to a change in segmentation of the market. I suppose the niche is too small for incumbents to warrant focusing on it. Yes. And the incumbent technology, and the, nowhere is it more true than the automotive sector, is very mature. The automotive industry is the most mature industry we've ever had. <clears throat> and I don't believe there's a product on the planet that's remotely as good value for money as a car with all its complexity and refinement. Um, unfortunately, it's unfit for purpose. But when you're so specialized in what you do and you do it so spectacularly well, it's very difficult to suddenly do something completely different. You simply can't turn the oil tank around. And, uh, and uh, uh, so, although there are very, very few advantages to being a startup, there's no doubt one of them is a clean, the, the biggest is the luxury of a clean sheet of paper. And that is yes. a huge luxury because you have none of the exit barriers and sunk investments that the incumbents face. So it allows you to think much more freely and yeah. there's no conspiracy or, or, or lack of imagination in, in um, the incumbent industry, but there are some very, very real and huge constraints in changing direction. Yeah. And so can I ask you, because, and I'd like to you also to talk a little bit about your business model, which is very different and, and, and an integral part of what you're doing, by my understanding. Uh, can I ask you, um, uh, were you ever, have you, have you found yourself along this road where there was a temptation or even, even a slip where you're sort of heading back into the more um, incumbent area um, <laughs> and you, you know, had to pull yourself out of that? Does that, that question make sense? Um, well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I haven't had any problem, really, I, okay. I, with that. I, <clears throat> I've been, no, I haven't ever been tempted. There's no doubt that as you expand and bring people in, you have to bring in expertise from outside. 
it is a constant fight where people don't understand why you can't just do it the way they're used to doing it because there's a lot of expertise and it's all proven you can get it off the shelf cheaply and so on and people and we do that wherever we possibly can but we we won't do it if it in any way compromises um uh, the principles of what we're trying to do and the fundamental strategies and 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 sometimes it's difficult to get uh clarity about which um which things we can take in from the uh, off the shelf from the industry or from established practice and which compromise the, the very principle of the of the business model and yeah that clarity isn't isn't hard to instill in people who have had years of being trained in a completely different way of um, doing business yes and but so I haven't say- had the temptation. Oh, wonderful. I, uh, and, and I mean, I'm looking at your website now. It says um, the purpose is to pursue systematically the elimination of the environmental impact of personal transport. And, yes. uh, you know, it sounds like you're very, very grounded in that. It's like this is, this is it's, it's such a, a level of coherence in what you're doing that it's very yes. easy for you to know when that's not happening. It, it, it is, and especially as the whole plan has been developed through a backcasting process from imagining a future where we have got sustainable transport and yeah. making sure that every investment we make takes us towards that end goal rather than down some dead-end path. Um, it's yeah. easy to do something that reduces environmental impact but investing in something that has no hope of ever being sustainable. And then, A, you don't get to where you want to be, and B, you've got to write off, you make, write off the investment you made in getting to the wrong place. Right. <laughs> um, so backcasting is a terribly important principle for us. Um, yes. And that statement is bold. Um, yes. We know it's not. we're not going to get there overnight, but if you don't focus on elimination, uh, I don't believe you'll ever get there. Reduction is an in- inadequate objective, but we're not going to yes. get there overnight. So the other terribly important word is systematically. We've got to make sure that every step we take takes us in the right direction. Um, right. Because ultimately, being less less unsustainable is still not sustainable. Yes, I, I, I saw that on the website as well. Being less unsustainable is still not sustainable. Did I get that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so with the with this process of backcasting, you started from the place of uh, the future place of this is how we are engaged in personal transport, and then it was the step. You know what happened immediately before that, or that type of process. Is that what you mean by yeah. backcasting? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. How, imagine the, this end point, and then work out how you got there. Right. And, okay. Uh, and if you imagine a tree with branches going off, if you start yeah. at the bottom and you work up towards your goal, forecasting, it's so easy yeah. to go off onto a branch and yeah. into the wrong direction. If you backcast from the crown of the tree back down the trunk, you can't fail to get to the starting point where we are now. And uh, right. it gives you, people find it hard to imagine that actually it's any different, but it does lead you to take, making very different decisions. Okay, and so was that is is that how you came up with? And I'd, I'd love you to share a little bit about your business model. Is that how you came up with the um, the business model? Was through this process? 
Yes, absolutely. And um, it's sort of identifying principles and trends. And um, and I think at every step of the way, trying to align the interests of all the actors in the system. Yeah. Um, rather than focusing on a technology and a profit motive and trying to push it into the market, trying yeah. to make sure that the interests of the market of the um, of policy makers and of the environment and the business are all aligned so yeah. that um, that we make more money by doing the right thing. Um, at the moment, in our perverse economic system, all too often you make more money by doing the wrong thing. And, yeah. and we're not going to change the rules of the economy quickly. So it's incumbent upon us to develop a strategy and a business model so that we make more money by doing the right thing. And it, ultimately, it's just another expression of aligning interests. And, right. Uh, and so it's a complex mix. You have to throw the whole context of business up in the air and, and establish a, a different set of relationships such that um, all these key actors, the key stakeholder groups are... Uh, 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 their interests are complementary, including mm -hmm. that of the business. So, so can you say, can you give a little bit of a context around the uh, the, the business model? Um, yes, yeah, sorry, yes, I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't explain the business model. So, yes, I suppose the, <laughs> so the, the, the the key to it really, yeah. I mean, it, we've got seven core strategies we talk about. I won't go into them uh, formally like that, but yeah. the, the key to it, I think, is that we are selling a performance contract on our cars. We will never sell a car. Okay. We're selling mobility, if you like. And it's much like a mobile phone. You take a contract for typically one to three years in, with our yes. cars, and that contract covers everything. So it doesn't just cover the, um, the amortization of the capital asset, but also, uh, and obviously all the maintenance, but also tires, insurance, and most critically, fuel. So yeah. literally everything is, and um, yeah, road tax, all those things all come bundled together. Now that makes the ownership of the car dramatically more convenient than cars today where you're haggling with the tax, uh, get your road tax and your MOT sorted out and, and dealing in separately with insurance companies and so on. All of this is handled in one monthly direct debit. Right. But critically, okay. it changes completely the drivers for the business. If you sell cars, you make more money by selling more cars. Yeah. And so you're rewarded for obsolescence and high running costs. Yeah. Um, because that's where you make your money. And, um, and if, uh, the customer is interested in precisely the opposite of that. Yeah. If you sell a mobility service, you're rewarded for longevity and low running costs. Because when the customer's bored of the car, doesn't need any more, we want to have it back, and we want it to be able, we want to be able to provide it to a second, third, fourth, fifth-hand customer. We yeah. want to maximise the life of each each vehicle we make, and we yeah. also want it to be as um, uh, as cheap to run as possible because we're paying the running costs. Yes. And so, <laughs> if, we, so if we can make um, the car more efficient. We say we're the ones who make the saving on uh, the energy costs throughout the vehicle's life. 
And yes. this switch, this doesn't just slightly soften the um, the, the drivers of, of business. Um, yes. Uh, it completely reverses them because if you're in the sale of product world, you're, you're rewarded from resource maximization. The more resources you can churn through, the more money you make. In our case, yes. we're rewarded for resource efficiency. Yes. And, and I personally don't believe we can have a sustainable industrial society based on rewarding industry for the opposite of what we're trying to achieve. It just yes. simply isn't very bright. <laughs> and there, are and other, there are other elements to the, 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 the business model in that we are uh, open sourcing the technology. Um, we are moving the sale of service model upstream into our supply chain. So some of our key suppliers, we're not buying components off them. We are paying for the function that that component provides in our car. So we don't buy fuel cells for our car. We buy in, we pay for installed kilowatt hours provided in the car. So again, it aligns our interests with our suppliers over longevity. And it allows us on a completely open book basis with our suppliers to work out what the cheapest way is of delivering that service in the car for the vehicle's life. Because our interests and our suppliers' interests are completely aligned. Okay, so let me just, I just, I, I want to be sure I heard you correctly. That, um, yeah. that for the fuel cells, you're not, you're not buying f fuel cells. You're buying no. from the fuel cell supplier the kilowatt hours. So similar to what you're selling to the, to the, to the driver, the customer, yes. um, is mobility. You're similarly buying um, from the supplier that type of the same sort of arrangement. Yes, is that, we're is buying that the, the way service rather than yes. the product. And buying the service, just like with the yes. customers, it, it aligns our interests upstream as well as downstream. Okay. Wow, and uh, and so um, so that means that the essentially the whole ecosystem of River Simple, uh, the whole ecosystem of River, River Simple, and all of the parts, customer, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all is is living in this in this uh, um, in the same model, which which is yes. is, is, is driven. Pardon the pun, but <laughs> driven yeah, by a completely yeah. different. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it before, <laughs> but it's driven by a completely different um, uh, um, desired outcome than yes, a traditional absolutely. business model. Com yes, com completely. And 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 another way of and and the other thing that's terribly important is that this is not a charity. Yes, um, this is okay. a, this is a business, and. Yeah. Everything about the business is designed to reduce the risks, to reduce the barriers, and to reduce the scale at which you need to speculate in order to, to start unlocking commercial revenue streams. Okay. And, 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 if you, and the, the sale of product model, to my mind, is a terminal barrier to that in the world we're facing now because for the last couple of hundred years, the limitations that drove business were technology and labor and yes. the limitation the primary constraints going forwards are resource depletion in its many forms and um, uh, and energy and things like that so it's not surprising that the business model of the last century isn't well suited to dealing with this 
next century because the, the primary constraints have changed. And yes. you can think of it as a funnel, really, which every company in every country is going through. And it's a converging funnel of resource depletion and regulatory pressure. And businesses um, forged in the 20th century and business models forged in the 20th century are bumping along the walls of that funnel. And every mm-hmm. time you hit the wall and have to get away from it, it's costly and painful and ex- you know, expensive. Um, yes. Whereas we're designing a business model that profits from being in the mainstream, the center of that converging funnel. And so staying away from the walls of the funnel for us is a source of competitive advantage Whereas for a business model not designed for this funnel, it is simply a cost on the bottom line. And it's not really surprising because the the sort of nirvana of optimized profit for um, such a business um, um, forged by the 20th century lies outside that converging funnel. That's what the the business is aiming at. And and, uh, we've just got to start, and it's in all our interests, to start acknowledging this converging funnel and design business models for that. But it yes. is much harder to change business models than change technology. So this is part of the, uh, coming back to the point I made, that there is an unbelievable advantage to being a startup. Yes. Because I completely acknowledge it's very difficult for existing businesses to, to do some of these things. Yes. And and so um, it, 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 the, the and this sort of comes to the comment that you made that the disruptive um, technologies usually come from left field. Uh, and and yes. so what what sort of... I'm, I'm going to throw into the mix um, and I'm going to share the sort of personal story of this because, I, you know, I find it fascinating. Um, I... Uh, um, in Australia, we we have not yet not yet um, got the the Tesla. It's it's due to arrive, and right. um, my, members of my family because um, it's oh, it's it's an ex, quite an expensive car to buy, yes. <laughs> like a very expensive car to buy in Australia because you know we have to pay for a lot of import duties and so on, and so. Um, a few members of my family are on the 14th, 15th, you know, list of the people wanting this. And I know right. one of them is not in the remotest bit motivated by the environmental factor of the car. <laughs> there is no it's interest, you know, right. not. No, what they're motivated right. by is that this is a, a beautiful car that goes very fast <laughs> yeah. and has all the other features. And, you know, and I look at that and I've looked at that and I've gone, isn't it fascinating because here's this person who, who admits publicly and frankly that they, they're not interested in the environment and et cetera, et cetera, and yet they're lining up to buy the Tesla S. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> and I go, well, you know, whatever it takes. If that works, it works. <laughs> um, yes. But, <laughs> but um, so I've actually lost my thread here of where I was going well, with it. I mean, we're, we're, I can see where you're going with it, though, sure, Christine. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. It's, is in, in that, when we're facing that reality in the market, Yes. Um, uh, how do you penetrate the market? Yeah. And uh, and I, um, we're very explicit about the fact that we don't want people to take this car through environmental guilt. We want them to take yes. it because they want it. 
And right. There's a variety yeah. of reasons why we think we can. Yeah. People will want it. Yeah. Um, yeah. One is, it, as I was saying earlier, it's a very much con- more convenient way to own a car. You just have yeah. one transaction. Um, yeah. All this hassle with insurance companies and and maintenance yeah. is taken care of, and you don't. They're not separate surprises on your purse when they happen. <laughs> um, it's predictable. It's convenient, and there's much less effort involved. Um, secondly, we want the car to look very good. I mean, we yeah. want it to be a desirable car. And um, yeah. so we were joined a couple of years ago by a guy called Chris Wright, who was head of design for Fiat and then Alfa Romeo. And yeah. he did the Fiat 500, for instance. Yeah. And um, he very tellingly, in a broadsheet interview when he joined us, said not that he was leaving Alfa Romeo to join another car company, but that he was leaving the auto industry because it's going in the wrong direction to join River Simple because it's going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But suffice it to say that we, we believe that it will be a, a car that people will... That it'll have a wow factor, put it that way. We want it to right. be desirable yes. like an iPhone is. Yes. Um, but embedded in there is all the environmental credentials that will yes. that will win over um, the environmental customer without question anyway. It's yes. just that's not the preachy message yes. we're, we're, we're giving yes. out. Um, right. And also, it won't come as a premium. Most supposedly clean cars, and as you've pointed yes. out, the Tesla is one, comes at a premium because batteries yes. are very expensive. And yes. the fuel cell cars the industry are producing are very expensive. Ours will be at the same same um, total cost of ownership as a conventional uh, low end car. Yes. So we're not we're not trying to undercut, but we're not charging a premium. Yes. And um, so um, and the last thing I think is probably relevant is that again as a startup we have another advantage in that. The whole model is based around um, breaking even at probably two orders of magnitude lower volume than is possible with the incumbent steel-bodied technology. Right. So the ideal size of a car plant today is about 300,000 units per annum. Okay. And, um, and the co- fixed costs are very high and the variable costs are very low. So if you run under significantly below capacity, you yes. very quickly lose all profit yes. and go into a negative um, revenue so, yes. um, or negative earnings. So uh, in our case, we our manufacturing um, strategy breaks even at somewhere around 3,000 units per annum. And that means... Right that you don't need everybody in the market to like what you're offering. You only need to offer something. It may not appeal to 99% at all. But if it's really superlative to the 1%, you really are in business. Yes. And um, so we can start off with niche markets. The car we're building is for for local use. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean urban, by the way. But it's people who have a car that operates in a radius of, say, 25 miles. It's a 50-mile diameter, still quite a big patch. It's got a 300-mile range. 
but it's not for intercity travel on motorways. It's got very good acceleration to 55, and it can cruise there. These are the design specs, Um, but it can't go any faster. In fact, I think it'll probably do just over 60 because we've been doing very well in our wind tunnel work and so on. Um, But it's designed for local use. It's very nippy um, uh, in and around town or on country roads. It's too slow for sustained motorway travel. And the reason for this is that if you launch a hydrogen car that's capable of motorway, long-distance motorway travel designed for that, the critical scale of infrastructure is a few hundred filling stations because you need to cover the whole country yes. with filling stations. Um, and, and that's a big gamble, whereas for us, if we're unlocking one local market, it may be based around a, um, a, a, a big town in a rural area, or it may be a small city, or those are the sort of regions we're unlocking first. Yeah. You can put one strategically sited um, hydrogen station in place, and just one station has unlocked a market. Now, it's a small yeah. market, but it is commercial. And the argument yeah. for the gas company making the installation is much stronger, because all the yeah. cars you produce use that one filling station, so it breaks even much quicker. And it's not yes. dependent on all the other filling stations. Mm. And you can then grow your market one at a time. And yes. so that's the niche market that we're building the car for. It doesn't mean that long-term we're a niche vehicle manufacturer because it, in doing this, we can develop incrementally the skeleton of a nationwide, nationwide network, at which point we can launch a, a five-seater family car that can cruise at motorway speeds. Yes. Okay, Lovely. Very good. So, I mean, I can hear where this backcasting that you mentioned <laughs> has really been critical yes. to, yeah. <laughs> you, you. <laughs> yes, very important. Very yeah, important. really so, thinking, yes, go ahead. And the Teslas of this world are wonderful news for us. I mean, I think it's great that people are, are, are doing this, but I think there's a, there is a lack of backcasting there because although they're doing what we're saying, producing a desirable car, um, yeah. I think fundamentally efficiency is probably our biggest threat um, and uh, efficiency is very tightly coupled to weight and yeah. we're not the sort of uh, banging the hydrogen drum saying it's the answer to all our problems I believe we need a much more complex mix of fuels and powertrains in future including batteries but batteries are are relevant for for um, local use, short-range short vehicles. Once you start uh, building a car for long range, you have to put in an awful lot of batteries, and the car gets very heavy, and then yeah. you need more batteries because it mm-hmm. needs more energy to drive it. And, and, and so I think it's, I, I, in a backcasting sense, I think it's, it's not a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. But it's great for us that other people are trying to do things differently. Yeah, and I think... I wish they'd lease the cars, they'd rather sell them. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, and I want to come back to that leasing. But I I think, you know, this was the wonderful thing that I I was mentioning that I observed in my family is that someone who's not remotely interested or couldn't care less about the environment per se is buying this car uh, because of all of that stuff. And I'm, it, 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 uh, you know, it was... And I'm sure he's not the only one that's doing that. (laughs) No, absolutely. I'm sure, I, 
I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are buying for that reason. And, uh, yes. Um, yeah, so, and, which is and, great. And, and, and realistically, I, I think that focusing on serving the environmentally-minded uh, sector um, necessarily limits the penetration and impact you'll yeah. ever have. We've got to have yeah. widespread impact. We've got, we want people to copy us. We want yeah. um, to produce a product that is clean and it's better for the customer. Yeah. And then you don't rely on environmental forethought to yeah. be a sort of motivator. Yeah, and I mean, this is I, I really love the idea of, a, of the, the lease because uh, it sounds to me, I mean, I, I know that in the, particularly in the Australian market because cars, the import duties and so on, so they're quite expensive. A, a lot of people... Uh, enter a leasing contract with a car and uh which is just ends up just being part payment for the car and then there's all the extras and extras and extras as you know <laughs> but the con it's a contract that you're you you're locked into for quite a significant period of time and and i'm I'm hearing what you're proposing and, and you know I'm not sure if there is going to be a a lock in contract or whatever that is but it well it, yeah. We're very keen on transparency. Yeah. So there will be no surprises uh, yeah. further down the line. Um, it's very, I don't know the Australian market, but in, certainly in the UK, it's very easy to be seduced into a very cheap monthly payment. <clears throat> you get an awful lot of surprises yeah. uh, down the yeah. line. Um, so yeah. utter transparency. And we've also learned a lot from the um, frustration um, of customers with the mobile phone industry yeah, and this business of lock-in and penalties and so on and so forth. And yeah. so uh, if you take a contract with us for three years for a car rather than one year, you will get a cheaper price. Yeah. If you want to um, uh, get out of that contract, you can do so, but you will pay the fair um, premium that you yeah. have uh, avoided by getting the lower price for a long contract that you're not honouring. Right, yes. Um, so it will be transparent and it will be fair. <clears throat> yeah. And you'll probably pay a small percentage more for having got out so that, yeah. there, is, so that there, there is a reason, just to be honest, about what contract you sign up for initially. But if your circumstances change, you're not penalised unreasonably in any way. Yeah, yeah, And I think lovely. that... that Transparency is absolutely central to our brand positioning. In fact, yes, yes. I, I mean, you're 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 building a a brand and a company that is. Um, I mean, I can hear it, and I can I hear it in everything that you're doing. Um, that has is grounded in 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 principles that are uh, inviolate. You know, they're not going to be changed. <laughs> they're there. And uh, and that part of that is this uh, wanting to engage in relationship with the customer um, that is deeply respectful and very um, in, in, uh, transparent, as you said. But it, it has this this deep level of respect around that that uh, that partnering engagement. And and we think there's better business actually. Um, yes. I think that, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, and our investors agree with us on this too. I mean, yes. it, 
um, it's it's all too easy to to um, to justify something on the sh- short term getting better profits. But when you look at the long term, yeah, and effectively building the balance sheet of the company, what the yeah. long term impact of those policies is has to be taken into account and generally isn't. It generally isn't because it's very difficult to quantify. And so it's very difficult to prevent people wanting to go after the quick buck, if you like. But actually, that is that transparency issue, we believe, builds a more profitable um, and especially resilient company in the medium term rather than the short term. Yes, yes. So we require people to, investors particularly, to, to be taking a longer view than than investors do who who for instance engage in highly liquid markets and are in an in and out um in a yes. short cycle we're not yes. going to appeal to them um yes. but if you want to be invested in in a business that um is profitable um more profitable than comparable um companies in the sector and um, and more resilient in the long term, then then we think we've got a, a very superior proposition. I yeah. could come on to well, our corporate governance at this stage if you wanted to. Yeah, no, I was uh, I, I, I'm, I was actually going to say because you know I love the um, I'm looking at the model on the website and we'll have the links to the website um, in the show notes. But I love this uh, how you how you were invited to the table. So can you say a little bit about the governance because that really is quite special. Yes, well, it, it 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 came about as sort of natural extension of this alignment of interests and um, thinking through uh, a business from a clean sheet of paper, and yeah. um, <laughs> and um, I firmly believe that a business that sets out to make money as its purpose isn't going to do very well. Yes, it, it needs a higher purpose for all sorts of softer reasons, like uh, getting um, staff, let alone customers, to believe in the company and so on. Uh, These are things that are difficult to quantify, but actually by taking a more balanced, um, uh, more purposeful, um, um, having a a more uh, purposeful sort of reason for going into this um, is actually a more effective way of building a strong business and therefore delivering profit. And Um, so, and the same is true of the environment. I don't believe that focusing purely on serving environmental interests would actually do the environment much good because investors aren't going to be happy enough to commit significant capital to the business and therefore the business isn't going to succeed. I mean, it's simply not yes. going to uh, have any meaningful level of impact. Yes. And And so you need all these different constituent groups, stakeholder groups, um, committed, and you need their goodwill. Yeah. And, you, and you can't get the goodwill of stakeholders, can't maximize the goodwill of stakeholders if their interests are subordinated to those of shareholders. And yeah. so one of the fundamental barriers, I think, to a successful business is the primacy of shareholder value. Yes. Um, it is not a good um, analogue for the interests of society. And the privilege of limited liability is granted by society 
for a reason, and the reason is yes. that the business is meant to do something for society that it can't be done by individuals. Yes. And we forget about that latter bit. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and, and actually, for the business, as I'm arguing, I think it's better for the business if it remembers that bit. So we've got six different stakeholder groups, um, the, the investors, the environment, yes. the staff, the customers of the company, the commercial partners, supply chain and so on, yes. and yes. the community. And the community we define as those bodies who have no direct commercial relationship with us. So local government are interested in employment, bodies who are yes. interested in road safety or air quality, all those sort of uh, constituents. Yes. And the fiduciary responsibility of the board is to pursue the purpose that you um, mentioned right at the beginning, that, that yes. systematically pursuing the elimination of the environmental impact of personal transport, um, whilst balancing and protecting the, the, the six benefit streams of the custodians, because the six yes. voting shares in the company are held by six custodian companies who represent those stakeholder groups. Yeah, they're very. Uh, they are um, non-profit making companies that uh, just have a small group of representatives, and they ultimately are the voting shareholders who um, uh, elect the board and approve the strategy on an annual basis. But the board has to balance and protect those six benefit streams, and we believe that by doing so, you will maximise the goodwill of those stakeholder groups, all of whom are critical to the success of the business. And yeah. by doing so, you'll have a more profitable and more resilient business. And you'll yeah. make much better quality decisions because uh, it's very difficult in, uh, in a single stakeholder body to genuinely mm. make, interest, uh, make, make decisions in the long term that are really going to take account of the interests of all these other critical stakeholders. Yes. So yes. It's, a, it, it's an unusual model. Um, but our, invest our current investors regard this as one of the key reasons why they're investing. Yes. Um, whereas on the face of it, because investors don't have control, absolute control of the business, they might think it's, um, it's reason they often do think it's a reason not to invest. <laughs> yes. um, but, yes. but the control, we argue, that investors traditionally have that comes with equity, though there's no logical reason why they should be tied together, um, yes. Control is there to protect, understandably, to protect their investment. And yes. we are offering them, um, through checks and balances in the system, much better ways to protect their investment than by having control. Yes. And so that need for control we're answering in a different way. Um, but it is critical that no one stakeholder has control because yes. it's built as a partnership. and. And you can't have a partnership in which one partner's in control because it's not a partnership. Yeah. Mm. And we need to balance all the voices. We need to separate the conflicts of interest. It's much like a democracy. We accept yeah. now that democracies with, with separation of powers and um, checks and balances works better than a one-party state, which can yeah. act quickly in the short term but always makes poor decisions in the long term. Yeah. And... And I don't see why business should be any different. Mm. So, um, so we have, I mean, I could 
even compare it directly with a democracy, which has an, um, an independent legislative body, an executive, yes. an independent yes. judiciary, and a free press. Yes. Our okay. legislative body is these six custodians who elect the board and approve yes. the strategy. The operating board is the executive, and they operate just like any other normal board, have all the yes. um, uh, responsiveness of a normal board. We have a yes. separate board called the Stewards Board, yes. and they monitor the operating board and vice versa, and also the Stewards Board um, uh, appoints and signs off the auditors for all six benefit streams. And then the free press, and so that Stewards Board is the independent judiciary. Um, is and the, then the is free the whip, press sorry? is this trans... Sorry? The steward board, say, say the steward board, I missed that, sorry. Is the, the steward board, board is, is effectively the, the, the equivalent of an independent judiciary in a democracy. Okay, great, okay, so thank you. So if the, if the custodians feel that their benefit streams aren't being balanced and protected, they can appeal to the stewards board okay, to investigate great. it further if there's reason to do so. Yes. And then the free press is, is, is simply transparency with the customers yeah. and... And a, and, a, and, a, and a policy of um, information available on a need-not-to-know basis rather than a need-to-know. Yes. Um, we talk okay. about need-to-know basis regularly, but the need-not-to-know is that any information is available to anybody unless there's a commercial reason why they can't have access to it. Yes. And so um, I, nice. I think the, uh, uh, the, the analogue of democracy is a very useful way of looking at what we're trying to do on, yeah. in governance terms. Uh, and so, Hugo, because, you know, this now makes the 14-year journey make a lot of sense because to actually arrive <laughs> at a lot of all of this <laughs> is not something you just go, oh, like, hello, there it is, download. <laughs> and as... Yeah, and I can imagine as someone who um, knows startup, the world of startup, I can imagine that you've gone through many iterations and probably I, I know from your photos that you've got a good head of hair, but, you know, there might have been some hair pulling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to get very used to being told it can't be done. Yeah. And, um, and, and in, on manufacturing strategy, on governance, on technology, um, on the sale of service, all of those we've had very robust, can't be done reactions over the years, a yeah. lot of the time, and we've gradually picked off all the arguments. Um, but it is we another principle we talk about a lot is whole system design. We're yeah. trying to optimise the whole car. We're trying to optimise the whole business model. Not yeah. and you don't do that by optimising each bit of the car or each bit yeah. of the business model. You've got to look at the whole system. And yes. the reason why um, you're told things can't be done, um, as soon as you articulate a radical idea, it's the immediate response, and, and those responses are generally valid. Um, but, but they assume that the context remains the same. And the reason yes. why something, a radical idea, can't be done is because where it fits in to replace the, the previous um, solution it's connected in a network with all sorts of other things, and those connections are designed around the previous uh, solution, yeah. which was completely different. If you're prepared to change the whole context, you get rid of all those barriers, if you do it right. I mean, you can 
yes. you obviously do it wrong, but, but if you can design a context in which all the connections in a system are optimized around this new radical idea, and suddenly the radical idea can become instantly much more attractive. But yes. it does require um, taking um, a, a, a helicopter view, if you like, looking at the whole yes. system to yes. see why, how there's a way around these can't be done. Yes. And you have to be fabulously stubborn <laughs> when you are told relentlessly by the experts in some area, whether it's technology or governance or whatever, that can't be done. Um, and at the same time, you have to be very attentive to the criticisms and, and, and be astute enough to pick out the bits of criticism that you do need to listen to. Yes. Because yes. they're not all wrong at all. Yes, um, yes. But you've got to have the confidence to know when they are wrong. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and those two, the listening and the stubbornness, are, are not, they're two opposite ends of the personality spectrum, if you like. So um, it's difficult, it's very difficult to balance those two requirements to develop the whole yeah. system. So can I ask you, and I'm going to take this to a little bit, um, just as we sort of wrap this up, but a little bit more personal level. Um, so there's two questions I'm going to ask. I'm going to give you the heads up on both of them. Um, the part, question number one is what has sustained you? Because I, I would know without question, as you mentioned or intimated in the beginning of the conversation, that there is, um, you know, you've, there's been... <laughs> ebbs and flows and speed bumps and politics and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So what sustains you? And the other part of this question is, um, uh, which is related to that, is I know that you've got a significant team at the moment, but ha are there are members of the team or people around you that have sort of really been with you robustly for a, a, a significant part of this journey? So they're kind of... Could, could, you know, you can speak into both yeah. of those questions either simultaneously yeah. or separately. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, what has what's sustained me this long is my wife. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> because um, she has been very much part of the journey. Um, yeah. She um, all this time has been on a salary when I haven't. Um, yeah. But she's been. Um, uh, in a communications company, global communications company, and her her title was head of disruption. Mm -hmm. She's actually recently um, left the company, but it, it it was a methodology for for looking at um, um, uh, questioning conventions in in markets. Yeah. And so she understands absolutely what I'm talking about, and she's been yeah. an intellectual partner in this as well as uh, as well as being able to sustain the family. And yeah. And that not needing to earn an income was of profound significance because um, it's not a matter of just finding um, 30 grand or whatever to, to stay alive a year. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's that if you don't need investors, you're not, um, you're not under pressure to quickly generate revenues. Yeah. And so I believe that if we'd tried to do this quicker we would have failed or we yeah. wouldn't have done it very well mm. and and having the lack of pressure has allowed us to do it right rather than do it quickly i after yeah. years in motor racing the one dictum i came away with which i love is there's never enough time to do the job properly but there's always enough time to do it twice 
And, mm. and quite frankly, you see the evidence of that temptation all around us in yeah. everything we do. And yeah. <clears throat> so uh, Fiona has really been um, um, absolutely central to the whole, whole project. And as you can imagine, through the um, encouragement, through the, the lows as well as the highs. Yeah, um, yeah. And yes, there have been um, um, uh, a number of people involved for a long time, um, mostly on the peripheries, because I didn't Im- we didn't have anybody else employed in the company until about four years ago. Okay. And it was just me. Um, but there are... Um, uh, there were academic supporters who were um, going above and beyond their their, their yeah. um, um, academic role in these um, combined projects where we got government funding, for instance, to do research projects. And they really believed in 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 the whole project and uh, contributed massively and have continued to do so. Um, and there's. Uh, one professor called Steve Evans, who was at Cranfield, he's now at Cambridge, who um, has been involved since 2002. Um, okay. And there's a network of people like like that. Um, our chairman, yeah. who sadly died three years ago, was my strategy professor at Cranfield in '99, and yeah. he was a most remarkable man. He was um, the best thing about my um, MBA at Cranfield. And yes. um, he died rather suddenly three years ago. But he was um, such a wise uh, man. He'd been in uh, corporate strategy for years and years and years, but he never said it can't be done. Uh, yes. Which, considering his the experience he's had in very different way of doing business, I thought it was truly remarkable. He was very considered. Um, he was very critical where he needed to be, but he never said it can't be done. Um, so that was uh, fantastic. Um, and then yeah. uh, the employees that we have got in the business, um, um, my key one was uh, really the first um, proper full-time employee. He came straight from a PhD in uh, automotive technology, and he's, he's my right-hand man on the technology side. So, yes. Um, yes, we've got a very... Uh, I, there's too many others to mention. Uh, Sebastian yes. Piech, in fact, who has um, brought his family, they're part of the Porsche family, and yes. um, he brought his immediate family in as, as, as our investors, and he has been a supporter since um, and involved since 2005. And yes. he completely understands everything about the business. If... If there's anybody I'd nominate to go and present and uh, represent the company, it would be Sebastian because he yes. understands and gets every sort of nuance of all the governance system and things like that and believes in it passionately. So these yes. people have been absolutely critical. Yes. I, I, I love this uh, quote on the website from Sebastian, to change things and to implement a new model, rebelliousness and courage are required. Did you? I mean, you, from the racing, uh, racing car enthusiast driver and so on to here, is this? <laughs> is this a trajectory you expected? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, funny. I mean, I was interested in the environment before I was interested in cars. 
Okay, actually. wow, so, there you go. I mean, I knew what an yeah. ecosystem was when I was 10 years old, which in 1970 wow. most adults wow. didn't. So, um, uh, and I... Wow. I I caught the motor racing disease when I was about sort of 14, 15, I suppose. Yes. The technology and got, became fascinated by the technology of designing of cars and driving them. And, um, yes. But, and I defended it for years over dinner with friends, saying, well, motorsport is the best way to, quickest and cheapest way to develop uh, the efficiency of automotive technology. And, and motor racing is all about efficiency. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and it is like a war zone. You get pe- people yes. are not looking at their watches for five thirty, and you get fantastic uh, commitment and progress very quickly and very cheaply. In fact, um, it, it's, the problem it's, was that I got to the point of uh, deciding that we needed to get rid of the combustion engine altogether, and so yes. prolonging its tenure was no longer defensible. And that was really the point at which I got out of motor yeah. racing. I'd also sort of run out of enthusiasm for modern motorsport the way it's all going yes well it, it's fascinating because it, in, in because we don't know each other but i've i've um inadvertently had quite a lot to do with the motor um industry um on motorsport and uh, and <laughs> just by accident again family connections you know i've been i was you know the 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 uh the guest with access to go everywhere card at le mans and you know blah blah, blah. Oh, really? yes yes but yeah, but I here's it's, the mall it's, for three years yes well it's fascinating though because I, I, several years ago, we have a we have a motor racing event. Um, it was the IndyCars, but the, that stopped a couple of years ago here on the Gold Coast. It's actually on next week. It's Paradise. Yes, yes, the IndyCars. Yeah. Yes, and and um, and I was down there um, as a guest again in the pits, and uh, and I wrote a blog about it. And I, the blog that I wrote about it, it was that you know I was watching. I was watching what they were doing in the pits and with the and the technology and the changes. And I'm going, even though you could look at this sport and just go, you know, what a, a huge amount of money. But I was, I actually wrote the blog because I was there with this technology and that they were working on having best performance from that particular type of car, which of course translates to the particular type of car that we mostly know on our roads right now. But that was the blog post that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the well, experience. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. so uh, anyway, um, well, I, I, I think what um, I, I'm so glad that we've had this conversation, and I, I just, I think what you're doing. We, to summarise for me the, the, in this dialogue with you and looking at what you're doing is is so far transcendent of anything to do even with mobility and cars and so on because um, my my teach, my main teacher for 27 years has been the work of Buckminster Fuller and he talked about this thing oh. called processional effects which is sort of like Absolutely. the side effects and and because because of what of the way that you've created this business. And and how you're 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 remodeling the whole approach to business and engagement and, and everything else like that. I, I mean, I just see that that the the it might look like a um, a mobility company. I'm not going to call it a car company. It might look like a mobility <laughs> company, but it's actually it's it's far greater than that. And well, uh, I I'm a great believer in Buckminster Fuller and. 
one of his lines I love is that we're to be the architects of the future, not its victims. And, uh, yes. And, and I think we've, the writing is on the wall, we've got to design our systems differently. Yeah. I mean, yes. um, profoundly. So I like to think that we're, we're designing at three different levels. I've been told this by some, originally by design uh, guru. D1 is the level of design of products and yes. services. So Bauhaus style design. D2 is the design of systems, which thankfully is happening more often now. And D3 is design at the level of ideology. And yes. this is where our corporate governance comes in. And in fact, it ties in so beautifully with Joanna Macy's um, uh, definition yes. of the three Fine. levels of change we need, which is yes. that the elastoplasts the, the are trying to slow da- damage limitation and um, structural change is the systems level. And uh, yeah. a change of consciousness is the is the, the higher level, and yeah. I think we need to be working at all three levels simultaneously. Yes, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I am uh, so thankful for the time that you've spent today on, yeah. in this conversation, and uh, and more than anything, I'm really thankful for your. Uh, in the immediate 15 years of commitment to River Simple and in the longer term, your commitment to arrive you at the place of River Simple, um, uh, you know, just a, a, just a deep bow of, um, of gratitude for you staying the distance when I know the road would have been rough. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to hearing as the, uh, as the journey unfolds. Well, thank you. It's been a great pleasure, Christine, talking to you. Very nice. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want more of 2.23 AM, then you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to the blog of 2.23am.com. That's blog.223am.com, where you'll find articles and interviews featuring stellar guests from around the world, plus tools and resources and much, much more. Follow 223am on Twitter at twitter.com slash 2 underscore 23am. That's 2 underscore 23am. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash 0223am. Till next time, thank you for listening.